This is No Borders Media. On this weekly news roundup, recorded late on September 18, 2018, we feature a conversation between three anarchist media makers, Kim Kelly, a writer and organizer from New York City, Andrew from It's Going Down, and Jackie Singh, that's me, from No Borders Media. On today's roundup, we discuss autonomous disaster relief in the context of Hurricane Florence. We again explore a core topic of these news roundups, Trump resistance. In doing so, we highlight ongoing examples of autonomous grassroots resistance, including the prison strike, anti-fascist organizing, Occupy ICE actions, various teacher strikes, and indigenous opposition to pipelines. We get an important update about an Occupy ICE comrade from San Antonio, Mapache, who stood up to neo-Nazi violence. We muse about the continued relevance of and increased interest in anarchist ideas and practice. This includes the inside scoop on the recent Teen Vogue article on anarchism written by our panelist Kim Kelly. We finish up with a discussion about the necessity and importance of left-wing anarchist media in this current political moment. No Borders Media, based in Toronto and Montreal, is an autonomous left-wing media network. We share and create content that supports the struggles of communities in resistance, with a focus on the self-determination struggles of Indigenous peoples, migrants, refugees, and working-class people of colour, all in the context of opposition to capitalism and colonialism. Some current focuses include migrant justice, resistance to borders, anti-fascism, and anarchism. We are in the early stages of our independent media project. To stay in touch, send us an email at nobordersmedianetwork at gmail.com or look for No Borders Media on Facebook or SoundCloud. Much more to come in the coming weeks and months. Let's go to that conversation between three anarchists, Kim, Andrew, and Jaggy, right now. Hey, everybody. This is another No Borders Media News Roundup. On this week, we have uh, two folks from the U.S. I'll let them introduce themselves. Let's start with Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Hi, my name is Kim Kelly. I'm a writer and organizer based in New York City. I primarily work with MAC, the Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council, and uh, work with uh, my union out here, too, the Rares Guild of America East. Awesome. And you're also someone who writes about black metal. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been my whole thing. <laughs> I was a metal journalist way before I started writing about politics. Yeah, and it's I'm hoping... really fun bringing them together. Yeah, and I'm hoping we'll, we'll get into that. And the other person is Andrew. Andrew, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? This is Andrew from It's Going Down. And I'm Jaggy, Jaggy Singh, and I'm with a relatively new media outlet called No Borders Media. I'm based both in Montreal and Toronto, but I'm speaking from Montreal. Uh, I'm one of those Canadians who really likes the U.S., not your military, not your government. But when people were saying we're going to move to Canada after Trump got elected, I was like, no, 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 stay there. I want to come to you. So just to give you an idea where I'm coming from, uh, the last show. Yeah, the last show was all of us in the Canadian state, but it's good to get uh, perspective from folks down there, both on the east and west coast. So let's start with uh, something I know you've been talking about a lot. Andrew, on It's Going Down, you set up a whole new tab about it, um, and something that we're all concerned about. It's going to become more and more of a thing, and that's uh, uh, relief in disasters. And Hurricane Florence hit the Carolinas and parts of Florida and Virginia. Thankfully, uh, uh, the impact wasn't as bad as expected. There were deaths, uh, numbering, I think, right now about a dozen or more, but um, not as bad as it could have been. But prisoners weren't allowed to be part of the evacuation, but there was also inspiring organizing going on. So talk about that a bit, Andrew. Right. Well, according to Democracy Now!, as of uh, you know this morning, there was about 17 confirmed deaths that we know about. Um, the storm, when it came in, uh, it was downgraded uh, in severity, but basically it slowed down, and that means that the storm itself you know, took its time and it was dissipating water. So some some areas have got massive amounts of flooding, and um, the big fear was that there's a fair amount of like hog farms in North and uh, South Carolina that have you know huge pools of just you know hog waste. There's also nuclear power plants. There's also um, like Duke Energy has a uh, <clears throat> different coal sites. Uh, coal in the U.S. is you know burn to make electricity and it has all this runoff and stuff which is you know obviously very dangerous to surrounding communities and the environment and watersheds and um as of today on democracy now they reported that one coal uh plant you know had basically been flooded and that they were worried that 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 was going to go back into one of the major rivers in the area um we know that anarchists and autonomous activists have been involved in a lot of uh, disaster relief stuff. Um, 
There is one account online that's been tweeting a lot that I'll just kind of give a shout out to. It's Mutual Aid 14. So this is Mutual Aid Wilmington. Apparently they have a plane. Uh, their last tweet says, we are the first relief organization to get a supply plane into Wilmington and distribute it directly to people in need. Uh, I'm, I believe that Wilmington is actually one of the towns that's completely cut off by roads. Uh, I think the roads have been literally like washed away. So... Uh, either you've got to get there by boat or by plane. So they've been able to get in there by plane. Uh, there's there's a kind of a, a network of, of anarchists and autonomous groups that have been out uh, delivering supplies and even some socialist groups like Socialist Rifle Association. Um, so you can check them out on Twitter. We're trying to retweet what we can. Hopefully by tomorrow, this is being recorded on Monday night, but by Tuesday we should have a, some more updates. We're also trying to interview people that are on the ground, but as you can imagine, the weather is really bad right now. So we were actually supposed to talk to somebody that's uh, on the ground right now doing relief efforts, but just the storm was just too bad. We couldn't make it work. Well, the 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 organizing by, by anarchists around these disasters, I, I was paying it close attention when Hurricane Sandy happened back in 2012. is pretty inspiring. And I know everybody, you know, like, Christian groups, Scientologists, whatever, they come out and it's a way for them to sort of plant their flag, so to speak, and, you know, do recruitment. But there seems to be something genuine and well-organized about a lot of these, what I, what I call autonomous efforts. Um, uh, Kim, you're from the New York, New Jersey area, or you're there right now. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do you have thoughts about this autonomous disaster relief, your thoughts of what, how Sandy played out back, uh, back seven years ago or so? Well, so in terms of Sandy, I wasn't, I'm from uh, like rural South Jersey, but I was actually living overseas at the time. So when all the news hit, all I could really do was watch in horror. And uh, my family doesn't live by the coast, but they live in a very heavily wooded rural area. And I was terrified that a tree was going to, you know, crash down on someone's house and kill my grandma. Luckily, that didn't happen. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, damage, but... Uh, it wasn't nearly like what happened in New York. So I wasn't here personally, but I do have friends who were involved with the Occupy Sandy efforts, which was, I don't know if it, that it was explicitly anarchist as a project. Like it seemed pretty autonomous from what I recall. And I think there's just tons of people pitching in and doing their best to try to make the best of really terrible situations. Um, and I mean, the city is still fucked up from from that storm. So I can only imagine what's going to happen in places with less resources, with, with less you know, uh, LinkedIn, public transportation systems. Like, it seems like it's just going to be terrible. And whatever we can do to help is what we need to be doing. Like, I've seen a lot of efforts. Um, I can't recall specific organizations at this point, which I feel bad about. But I have already seen calls for donations for autonomous and anarchist groups that are already preemptively trying to raise funds and gather resources to help people after the storm passes. So... Anything to that effect, I think we should be really focusing on and trying to come together and do what we can because this is clearly, I mean, the government isn't going to do anything to help. And I mean, that's no big surprise, but especially in a case like this. Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to wade through water in the subway. I was, I was far away at the time, but it's still a feeling that horror as you see this gigantic meteorological like terror descend upon a place where people you love live. It's just horrific and it's something that like you said we're going to be seeing more of because the climate's fucked so really we need to be working on preparing like well in advance for these sort of things because it's going to keep happening and we're still not going to be able to depend on anyone but ourselves to me it's it's sort of uh at the heart of what anarchist politics is about where we show mutual aid and this idea of you know anticipating it um wherever you live because it's either going somewhere else where people need aid or uh or being ready in your own community um, now, something that was else that was in the news related to hurricanes was last year's Hurricane Maria and Trump basically um, <laughs> denying the deaths that, that have been well recorded, upwards of 3,000. Um, this relates to our conversation in many ways. One is that the autonomous efforts there were just inspiring and people are beginning to give that credit there that those efforts save lives. Um, but it's just really fucked up the way in which um, the deaths... Uh, during that hurricane, after Hurricane Maria and another hurricane in Puerto Rico, which outstrips the deaths, by the way, uh, you know, from the World Trade Center. Not that it's a competition or anything, but it just puts it in perspective. Uh, it's just really mm -hmm. fucked in which the way in which that denial is happening. 
It's wild. It just speaks to the lack of inhumanity that this creature in the White House has and the <laughs> lack of control the people that are allegedly the grown-ups have over the things that he spews from his mouth and his fingers. It's just, this is a, a creature who is just so incapable of assigning or taking any sort of blame or any sort of anything less than glowing praise his head explodes and he just has to lie about it and just totally discount the deaths of thousands of people who are dead because of him because his government failed them and their own government failed them and that nothing was done to help these people and the fact that he's out there with his twitter fingers talking acting like it didn't happen is just it's always pretty embarrassing to be an american but that was a really that was a really bad day. Andrew, before we leave this topic, is there anything else you want to add? Well, just on the topic of Puerto Rico, I mean, there's been other studies that have put the death toll upwards of, you know, around 5,000. So, I mean, the 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 number of 3,000 is actually pretty, pretty low. And, um, yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, Puerto Rico is literally ruled over by, you know, kind of a, a council of in, imposed people that are basically there to implement austerity. You know, it's been, you know, Puerto Rico has been hit, you know, not only by colonialism, but also a few years back by a huge, you know, the economic crisis. It hasn't, uh, you know, gone out of, uh, been able to, you know, move out of that. And then in the wake of the storm, basically huge, you know, uh, the public utilities were basically looted. You know, uh, people like Naomi Klein talk about you know the shock doctrine and disaster capitalism. Well, you know, it, you know, you can see it happening in real time in Puerto Rico. You know, the the utilities were sold off. I mean, massive amounts of schools were closed down. I mean, there are literally schools that still do not have you know running water and electricity. Um, you know, a lot of uh, you know crypto libertarians started to kind of move in and try to like buy up parts of Puerto Rico. They had this idea that they were going to turn it into some sort of like, you know, Bitcoin anarcho-capitalist, you know, utopia where they could basically buy everything around them and you know have their own little fiefdoms. And you know, so far that hasn't really worked out. But I mean, it's really disgusting, and it shows kind of what's in store for the rest of us. Uh, you know, and the fact that it, you know, is kind of unfolding first in Puerto Rico is is obviously because the people there are, you know, colonized people ruled over by the United States. And, um, yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, you know, the response from the government is sickening. I mean, it obviously could have been completely prevented. And I think that the work that anarchists did uh, is inspiring, you know, as well as, you know, just the self-organization of everyday people, you know, literally squatting abandoned schools, uh setting up infrastructure, uh, to, you know, getting the power back on, you know, cooking communal meals, uh, meals. I mean, I mean, I think that's exactly the kind of thing that, that we, uh, need to see not only in, you know, just a nice way of, you know, helping people, but in literally an insurrectionary format of, you know, taking over space and trying to capture as much territory, uh, from the state as possible and not giving it back. Well, let's talk about, resisting this fucking horror store horror story um that's been there for hundreds of years but has taken on this whole other tone with uh, with trump so let's talk about this catchphrase trump resistance uh i talked about this a bit on the last episode here with with my comrades from the rest of canada but i want to talk about it with you as well you know this new york times editorial which i just found was a was a outrageous you know that's anonymous editorial that says i'm within the trump administration a senior administration official and I'm resisting Trump and what have you. And just this idea that resistance to Trump now means former FBI directors and former CIA chiefs and uh, war criminals and senior administration officials who are all basically in allegiance with capitalism and imperialism. They just don't like the tone that Trump is taking. So let's talk a bit about what Trump resistance should look like and what people are saying it is. Yeah, I mean, I think the the anonymous uh, thing, like you said, was a, was a joke. I mean, it was you know, like you turn on MSNBC and CNN, and, and what do you hear every day? Um, and myself and Kim actually had a similar conversation about this recently. Uh, we just recorded a podcast, but I mean, you know, they're just talking about Stormy Daniels. They're talking about the Mueller investigation. You know, um, meanwhile, across the U.S., like, you know. Uh, huge amount of Detroit schools just announced that the, the children there cannot drink the water because the infrastructure is sold and the pipes are corroded and if the kids drink the water, they'll be sick. You know, 
we're dealing with all these different storms that expose like all this crumbling infrastructure and just how screwed up everything is. I mean, you know, we have massive problems in the U.S. with, you know, everything from, uh, you know, lack of access to basic resources to, I mean, Arkansas just started to implement a new policy where if you don't work, you don't get access to Medicaid and things like that. I mean, we have huge structural problems right now and you know the democrat the, the dnc aligned media is basically interested in picking apart these really cosmetic things about trump and really kind of hammering that home and i think that the editorial that was released you know is really speaks to that because it says you know we are not from the the resistance of the left meaning we're you know we're not part of a social movement we're coming out of the the elite class itself and we see trump as a problem because he's so unstable and he could possibly destabilize this entire system and really make things bad for the united states and i think the united states is you know crumbling as a as a global power i mean right now canada and other um you know world economies are forming trade agreements with you know without the united states you know trump is literally you know pushing all these tariffs and they're not going well they're having to bail out farmers in the united states um there are signs that another economic collapse within the u.s is you know right on the horizon um and then you have this person in the white house trump who never thought that they were going to be elected to begin with uh with their finger on the button and they uh it seems that they really have no idea what they're doing i mean there's th- this has never happened before in, in american politics where the elites have been so divided and you can see it um and on one hand it's really interesting to see what's going to happen but at, you know at the other on the other um there's a huge section of the elites that are just running to try to um you know, gain any sort of legitimacy they can in the eyes of the public, because a lot of people just are seeing the shit show for what it is. Um, but a, a lot of people in power are very scared that this is going to completely destabilize the entire state and that they're trying to make it appear that they're the ones in control, that people should have faith within the state, within the system, within democracy. And I, I mean, that, that's really, really what it's about. Say, yeah, they're this concept of the adults in the room. That was the phrase that we kept seeing, mm-hmm. being bandied about. Like, don't worry, guys. Like, there are good Republicans. There are good grown-ups here to keep an eye on the bad man and push all of the the tax cuts for the rich and all of the all of the oil wars and all of the all of the other things that are go- still going to fuck you real good. Like, we can still do that, but we're going to try and keep him from insulting anybody too much or being too uncivil. The civility. <laughs> the 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 issue with so many of these Republicans and and like the the yeah like you said the elites the political class is that not particularly what his policies are because so many of these things have already been happening under Obama under Bush like none of this is really that new but it's the tenor and the tone of the delivery is what's getting people's feathers ruffled the fact that we have like this uncouth crass reality. TV star who's like clearly a blatant racist white supremacist but that's never stopped any other any other president, but it's it's just sort of it's, it all comes down to tone, and the fact that the media and the DNC and the Republicans they're all just focusing on tone policing this one unhinged old maniac, while just allowing the rest of the country to burn and the rest of people that are in lower tax brackets to struggle and suffer. And it's just it just kind of lays bare how flawed and riddled with rot the entire system is it's like y'all we are standing on the brink of like the collapse of your beloved empire and you are worried about some convoluted money laundering schemes some some more twitter fingers and you know what nancy pelosi is having for lunch like it's just so far removed from anything that's actually meaningful or actually impacts people in this country but that's all we're seeing. I can't even keep up with this Mueller shit because I have no fucking idea what's going on. There's so many other things that are that, that actually matter that aren't getting any airtime, that aren't getting the dedication and the, uh, the visibility that they need because this Trump circus has overtaken everything. Well, we're at a point where an FBI director is the head of the resistance. Like, what does resistance even mean if that's the, the stakes we're playing with? Yeah, I mean... Um... Let's in a moment. Let's get into some of the more inspiring examples of of actual resistance. Um, 
But before doing that, uh, I had, I guess, two points. One is, um, you know, if Trump does a uh, hundred things in a day, he's maybe going to do one or two things right. Um, so, like, what's really absurd is that some of the things that the that the neoconservative, neoliberal elite is upset of him about are stuff that you know isn't necessarily that bad, like not going to war with Russia, say, or not not going to war with North Korea. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Trump is some sort of diplomatic genius or anything, but that that kind of posture that he occasionally has shown of, uh, you know, the point isn't to go to war with people is something that's really pissing off these uh, these neoliberals and neoconservatives. Uh, but let's, let's maybe get into uh, some of the examples of Trump resistance, inspiring and maybe not so inspiring, and definitely uh, FBI directors and John McCain being examples of the resistance <laughs> is something that's way beyond just not being not inspiring. But I guess there's things that I guess we could be a little bit more critical of, but it's something that people are rallying around, and that includes this, you know, I, there's this thing called Justice Democrats, and you have the Democratic Socials of America that are getting more intellectual politics, and I know the uh, election or the primary victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in, uh, for, a, for a House seat in, um, in New York City area was something that really mobilized or inspired a lot of people. I know, Andrew, you are doing a whole series with It's Going Down um, about DSA, but before getting you to talk about that, I'm just wondering, Kim, if you can give us a sense of how did this... Uh, this victory of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but not just her, but, you know, the the so-called left-wing candidacy of Cynthia Nixon, which she lost, but Cynthia Nixon for governor, and, uh, you know, there's these other candidates being put out by the Justice Democrats or the DSA. How, how is that playing out? Well, it is, it's an interesting to observe. I mean, you know, I'm not really a, a DSA kind of gal, but it's been interesting watching things play out, Um I think even just like personally watching the Cynthia Nixon campaign happen and the fact that it was as, as successful arguably as it was is really interesting. It is encouraging for, you know, people that believe in electoral reform. The fact that she came out there and she forced Cuomo to move left on so many issues and actually addressed things like, you know, racial, dress, racial justice and prison reform and ab- abolishing ICE. Like she, she came out with like some pretty wild shit on that platform and she kind of scared the establishment Democrats into inching a little further left. Um, the uh, Julia Salazar, who just won, uh, she's a DSA person too. Um, Alexandria, not a DSA person. Like, as much as I'm not, again, not really an electoral kind of believer, the fact that there are people on the left who have, like, reasonable and humane policies who are acquiring power, like, I'm not going to be mad about that, you know? And if it inspires more people who are coming from the left to try and, you know, take, take power and sort of address or, uh, approach or change from that direction. Like it's all, you know, it's all good. Like, I'm not going to be upset about it just cause it's not my personal, uh, you know, idealized scenario of making change, you know, like every little bit helps at this point. And the fact that they are getting so much national attention and scaring the shoot, out of Republicans and conservatives is also a plus. Like it, it's the way that the media coverage has sort of been a, a massive wave can only help with our own efforts because if it seems like there's a giant wave of left wing resistance overtaking the country. Like it's, I'm not going to be mad about that either. Well, it's a little flippant, but that's how I personally feel about the whole thing. Well, I, you know, I think sometimes we forget that the potential of a left-wing insurgency has been historically the number one threat to the ruling class. And I think it still is, which to me explains why the MSNBC, CNN uh, type media networks want to portray resistance as something that comes from the establishment and really ignores, uh, you know, the genuine grassroots kind of stuff. Um, uh, but Andrew, I know you've, you've paid a lot of attention to this. All three of us aren't DSA kind of people. We're all pretty anti-electoral, I think, but we need to pay attention to what's happening on the left, uh, and uh, you did a whole series on this uh, that's uh, being slowly put up on, on the It's Going Down website, so talk a bit about this uh, DSA phenomena. Sure. I mean, DSA itself is not a, it's not a new organization, but, you know, in the wake of Bernie Sanders losing, it, uh, you know, grew exponentially. Right now, it's over 50,000 members. Um, it is, from my understanding, it is, it is somewhat decentralized. I mean, there is like a kind of an elected uh, body that, you know, kind of 
governs the organization, but you know, by and large, each chapter of, of DSA, which is based around localities, you know, kind of, you know, charts its own course. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, singing the praises of DSA. I, I think that, uh, you know, taking electoral strategy is a mistake. I think that's where politics, you know, essentially go to die and, you know, where social struggles, you know, end is in the ballot box. They don't, they don't find their, their ascension there. Um, I think that the fact that we are seeing, uh, people that are, I mean, they're not even, I wouldn't even personally, I wouldn't call them socialists. I think they're social Democrats. I mean, they're basically their argument is that, you know, we should take a small amount of the tax money that people pay into the American system and instead using, instead of using it on, you know, you know, $700 $700 billion for war. We should, you know, use only $500 billion for war and take 200 billion of that and use it towards other things. And, um, you know, which under the current system would not necessarily be a total bad thing. It would be great if, if the U S had like uh, socialized healthcare and all that stuff. But I think the fact that the, I mean, the Democrats have basically made a decision at this point that they are going to appear that they are going to the left. You know, like Obama came out and said, you know, we're running on ideas. You know, we're in favor of things like, you know, Medicare for all. Um, the thing you know, that he undermined when he was president. <laughs> what's that? The thing that he undermined when he was president with his stupid exactly. Obamacare I mean, it's, compromise. It's ridiculous that they are, you know, basically championing these things, which for you know, for so many years they have attacked. I mean, even things like, uh, you know, raising the minimum wage to $15, which, you know, is at this point is, you know, not going to really, it's not a living wage at all. It's a poverty wage in most American cities. But I mean, you know, the fact that they're kind of embracing this, I think is signaling that they are trying to definitely recuperate some energy from a lot of the social movements that have been happening in the last couple of years. But also they realize that they're going to have to capture that energy from uh, young millennials and also uh, the working poor, which are the, you know, the two major uh, arenas in which, you know, Bernie really activated. So they realize that they really have to kind of capture that. And I think that the DSA really is like, you know, a nationwide kind of, burning type thing that they can really activate, you know, for the, um, for the midterms. I mean, Democrats will literally go to DSA chapters and lobby them to get their endorsement. I mean, people, Democrats are literally fighting to get the endorsement of a local DSA chapter because they know those people go out and campaign for them. And it's like a feather in their hat. Um, you know, it still remains to be seen what's going to happen in the midterms, but, um, I mean, ultimately, regardless of even if there is a, you know, quote, blue wave and there's a huge shift. And um, I mean, I think in 10 years that we will see uh, kind of like a social democratic shift in the U.S. We will see, you know, things like universal health care and and all these kind of progressive changes that kind of like move the United States into a similar position like, you know, Canada is now. But I don't think that's going to do anything to change the trajectory of industrial civilization, you know, where it's headed, which is, you know, the entire, <laughs> you know, world off a cliff. You know, I still think that the, this, this system is still on a certain, a certain path and it's, it's not going to change unless there's a, a revolutionary struggle, which, you know, abolishes that. So let's talk about inspiring examples of resistance right now. I mean, Right from the very get-go, from from the evening of uh, Trump's uh, Trump's election, he lost a popular vote, but he won the electoral vote, electoral college vote. Uh, there's been resistance. Uh, what are things that 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 uh, the two of you have found particularly inspiring? I know you write about what you find inspiring, so you'll probably make reference to that. Um, what has been inspiring in terms of grassroots Trump resistance that we can build on? We'll start with you, Kim. Oof. I mean, there have been so many direct actions in so many campaigns because i mean the thing with this motherfucker is there's so he's activated every terrible possible uh like subsect of fascist society like he really gave the nazis and the the fascists the the green light to run wild so counteracting that with like anti-fascist efforts has been it's been a long hard road of course but seeing how much work and dedication people put into that particular struggle is of course inspiring even from the very beginning when you know we had the J20 inauguration protests and so many people got scooped up and you know horribly abused and had 
these insane charges hanging over them up until what, like six months ago. It's only been recently that people were allowed to have their lives back, but you know, they still did it and people are still out there and fighting. I mean, I personally was really inspired by the wave of Occupy ICE efforts that happened fairly recently. Absolutely. New York had a, had a really, um, I was involved with, with, you know, many other people. I was involved with, um, those efforts in New York and I'm really proud of what we accomplished and the fact that we were part of this bigger wave joining comrades across the country doing, you know, taking direct action, making material gains, like causing an actual fucking ruckus. Like it's nice to go to a process. It's nice to make a sign. I respect that. But shutting down an ice building is a, it's a pretty good way to make a difference too. It was, it was a complicated situation in New York because nothing's easy in New York. But um, I probably should have uh, thought about this a little bit more before I hopped on the phone with you because I feel bad that I'm not spotlighting any other particular examples. But, I mean, people are angry. People are organized. People are doing their absolute best to fight back against all of these terrible things. Like the group that I organized with, MAC, has had a variety of different campaigns. Right now we're doing a lot of work around anti-ice things and anti-border things. We've got... um. A lot of acti- or a lot of energy around the prison strike that just happened, and supporting incarcerated workers and keeping that momentum going. There's so many ways that people can plug in. I'm sure Andrew has an encyclopedic, an encyclopedic knowledge of what's actually happening, given that he is part of like the pulse of our movement at IGD. Um, yeah, and we're we're gonna get back to the Occupy Ice topic, but Andrew, do you have other other examples to share of of things that? you know, that we can get behind that are particularly inspiring. I mean, we could just go visit the IGD website, I guess, but uh, uh, let's, what, what comes to mind to you uh, in this week uh, of, of stuff? Well, I think, you know, as, uh, you know, in regards to Trump, I mean, definitely the initial kind of waves of riots and, and walkouts and demonstrations. I mean, obviously the Muslim ban, um, you know, the, the first wave, which, I mean, you know, one thing we can we can point to, anarchists can point to, social movements can point to, is that, you know, within this presidency, um, you know, we've been able to make Trump and, and his administration look weak, in insofar as that, you know, social movements and, you know, essentially like very disruptive actions, you know, from riots to occupations have literally uh, forced policy to just, you know, be smashed. You know, whether it's the Muslim ban or the uh, you know, child separations at the border. I think the the flip side of that is is that you know obviously the state uh, continues and learns from those failures. I mean, like so, for instance, with child separation, the reason they did that is because uh, in the U.S., if if a family uh, is in a detention facility for more than a certain amount of days, that they have to be released. So they decided to separate children at the border to to once send a message, but also to circumvent that rule. So now, uh, currently, they are um, passing a new rule, which will supposedly go into place after the midterms uh, are over, that will allow them to keep people in detention facilities uh, supposedly indefinitely. And I think that one of the the downfalls of um, social movements and eruptions of, of struggle that, that we've seen um, within the U.S. is that we've uh, become victims of kind of like having to rely on social media and, you know, just kind of like viral, um, you know, people just, you know, losing their minds over stuff they see, you know, on social media or on the news or something like that. Whereas a lot of the more, I mean, I think Trump is learning that, you know, he just can't come on TV and he's like, you know, we're going to take all the kids and send them to Mars. And then like, you know, people obviously (laughs) react. Whereas like, I think that he's, the administration is learning like other administrations that, you know, some of your more heinous shit, you know, you don't necessarily announce it to the world and you don't explain what you're doing because you think your base is, you know, you know, awesome. And that's all that matters. You know, you've got to kind of acquiesce the rest of society. Um, so I think that, you know, obviously one of the tasks of building a revolutionary movement is something that can physically, uh, you know, create the conditions in which, you know, poor and working class and oppressed people can, uh, you know, create, a uh, 
a war machine to fight back against you know the things that immiserate them and not having to rely on you know people looking at stuff on twitter and losing their minds because it's so messed up which you know obviously it is but if that's the barometer in which you know we choose to act or not then we're not always going to get to that point and more often than not even if we get to that point you know the system's going to circumvent us and come back around and and pass a whole another set of things i mean just like they did with the muslim ban just like they did with child separations so um i mean i think a good example of that is is the prison strike um you know all the work that went into that um you know i i think that the past couple years have seen uh for one anarchists have been in the in the medium more than ever i mean anarchist voices are taken you know insofar as they are are taken more seriously than they ever have before i would say uh since the anti-globalization movement um but also uh just you know the constant trying to build capacity uh within the anarchist movement in the u.s and and you know in north america in general is something that i i haven't seen before you know there, there's just you know there's a constant calling for for uh people across you know a vast territory to act and to build and to um you know engage in a variety of things to you know whether it's in solidarity with you know this year for for afrin that came under attack in rojava to you know with the prison strike so you know, which takes a lot of work and a lot of resources, and I know everybody's really tired, but uh, you know, there's no there's no end in sight. So you're optimistic, like n- not in not in terms of Trump as a person, but you're optimistic about the potential for anarchist, anti-authoritarian style organizing and resistance. I would say I'm very optimistic. I think like as as bad as as things look. I mean, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we do have to be optimistic about, and I think this is one of the things that again, if we just kind of consume uh, elite media all the time, uh, we forget is that you know the vast. I mean, I don't know how it is in Canada, but the you know about half of the population in the U.S. you know has no faith has no faith in the two corporate parties, but also believes that life is getting harder. Uh, the capitalism is crap. You know, half of millennials uh, do do not like capitalism. So I think that there's a lot of uh, room to grow within that. You know, and I think that anarchists uh, who want to kind of create and grow and popularize a culture of action and of you know doing things that better our conditions, and you know are also all about you know doing things that engage people i think that there's there's a a wide terrain that's open because the vast majority of politics is anything but that it's about you know vote for me or be scared of a brown person and you know listen to my podcast so one day we'll have a white ethno state well you'll be safe and i'll be in charge you know like that's that's literally what politics is in 2018 and you know anarchism is anything but that it's about creating a vibrant uh, engaging movement, you know, that betters people's existence. I guess I'll ask you that too, Kim, if you're optimistic too. I'll, I'll answer myself because part of me asking the question is um, I, I'm definitely committed to the resistance. I'm just just not sure if, if I'm as optimistic right now. And that's why I like doing this show so I can hear, you know, those other perspectives. Uh, uh, it strikes me that a lot of people are, are sort of either getting turned on to social democratic stuff as we see through the DSA thing or uh, a rekindling of uh, Leninist politics. Um, not to say that anarchism is completely uh, on the sidelines of that uh, resistance, but uh, just not taking up the place that I think it should from where I'm standing or where I'm sitting. Uh, how about you, Kim? Are you optimistic about that potential of resistance, uh, grounded anarchist resistance to, uh, to this horrible system? Well, yeah. I mean, like Andrew said, people are looking for something better. And at this point... You know, under Obama, it was a lot easier for people to get complacent and to think, you know, things are getting better when this progressive upswing and the election of Trump was a very stark reminder and a sort of new information to a lot of people that, no, 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 things have always been bad. Now they're going to get worse. And now I think the rise of, I mean, (laughs) Bernie Sanders and everything he brought with him, he did, I think the most useful and important thing he did was show people who were, you know, not on the left necessarily, but they weren't 
They didn't feel like Democrats. They knew they weren't Republicans, but they hadn't really thought that far into what else there could be. He offered sort of a third option. Like you can be, you don't have to be a Democrat. Like you can look towards the left and look towards other philosophies and other tendencies. And I think a lot of people have been sort of zooming down that highway and a lot of them have found their way to anarchism because, I mean, if you want to fight for a better world, I can't imagine an ideology that makes any more sense than this one. Um, and also, like to echo Andrew again, I mean, we're getting, <laughs> it's the fact that I'm writing about anarchism in Teen Vogue is not something that would have happened five years ago. You know, leftist voices and even explicitly anarchist and radical voices are getting a lot more airtime. We're getting a lot more space to actually share our thoughts and share our ideology and talk about what we're doing and inform people about the fact that, you know, we're out here. You don't have to just be trapped in this too party system you don't have to be trapped in this burning dumpster fire of a world like there are people out there who are trying to make things right and make things better and there are more options than just going down to the ballot box and ticking a couple little squares and hoping against hope that somebody nice will be in charge next year um i mean yeah like things are really dark and really terrible too like we're facing constant repression people are losing even what semblance of basic human rights they've had and there's really, you know, they always say it's always darkest before the dawn. I don't know when the sun's going to come up, but, you know, I think at the very least we're doing our best to try and climb up on the roof and look over the horizon. A lot more people are becoming interested in this, even, like you said, with the rise of the DSA. That's a goddamn start, you know? Like, no one comes out of the womb quoting Lucy Parsons or Bakunin. Like, everyone has to start somewhere. And the fact that things are so bad has been that spark for so many people to start down the path towards more radical ways of thinking and more autonomous ways of thinking. I can't, you know, I can't right. imagine anything more inspiring than that. The fact that, you know, people have woken up, things are bad enough where like nice liberal soccer moms with 401ks are out there in the street making signs. Like that's, that's a start, you know, like all we need is a spark and we've definitely had, that happen and i'm really interested to see what happens in the coming years because we know this shit ain't over yeah and just just to say one more thing real quick i think a good example of that is like for instance with the teacher strikes that have happened you know as you mm. see like right now in like washington there are you know teachers that are actively defying you know union orders and staying out on strike and also orders from the state to return to work i mean before you know without that example of the teachers in west virginia taking that step i mean those actions by and large, you know, not only wouldn't have happened, but people wouldn't have had that idea. So there's, because things have been pushed so far and people across a, a wide variety of sectors from, you know, indigenous people fighting pipelines to anarchists, you know, punching Richard Spencer, there's been all these examples. So people have a lot of reference points to look to. And I think that as people continue and gain more confidence and learn more lessons, you know, in a short amount of time, I mean, that's only going to accelerate uh, people taking action and also just experimenting with what human bodies can actually do together. Just listening to both of you, um, I'm already feeling a bit more optimistic. My momentary doubts have been solved. It's like you've acted as my anarchist therapists. Um, <laughs> Before leaving the the topic of Occupy and Abolish ICE that, that's already been pointed out by you, Kim, and we've all covered it um, in different ways. You wrote a piece in Teen Vogue and, and Andrew with It's Going Down and me and No Borders Media, we've done podcasts about it. Um, well, we did want to give an update, uh, and it's a way of maybe showing what this resistance looks like and the consequences. One of the, I mean, I think all the Occupy ICE actions were inspiring, but one in particular was in San Antonio particularly because they had to deal with far-right violence where some far-right fuckers came up one early morning and tried to disrupt the camp. They didn't succeed. One of the people who stood their ground that morning was uh, a young comrade named Mapache. He's 18. He gave an interview to No Borders Media. Um, shortly afterwards, not because of the interview, but because of his involvement, he was detained uh, by ICE uh, and facing deportation. He's been detained for the past month. And I know you, Andrew, you got an update of what's happening with uh, with our comrade. Yeah, just to uh, be brief, I mean, uh, there will be an interview that's, that'll be on It's Going Down, hopefully by tomorrow. But um, uh, we talked to Mapache today. Uh, he, you know, he had a really, you know, crappy experience, just like everybody else does. But I mean, his... Uh, 
from our understanding, his DACA was up. He was basically picked up by the ICE pigs. Uh, they brought him in. And, uh, you know, the FBI came and talked to him and basically said, like, you know, if you, uh, you know, tell us about your basically if you snitch on the the activists that you're with or, you know, talk about them, then maybe we can work out a deal with ICE. Um, you know, he, of course, refused to do that. He was moved about three hours away to another uh, facility and he was there for about 40, 40 days. I mean, the conditions that he describes are pretty horrible. And, um, I mean, the majority of people he was with were picked up at the border. Um, and at that point he decided to basically take a deal and, uh, opt for, um, a release, uh, into Mexico. But the catch is, is that he, um, you know, cannot return to the U S legally for 10 years. So, you know, and this is a person who's, you know, whose parents and, you know, he's quite young, but his his parents are in San Antonio and he's five hours away, separated by, you know, a colonial border. And um, he's in a, a country that, you know, he, from my understanding, he did not grow up in. And, uh, you know, but he's, his spirits are high. He's doing well and he's connecting with uh, uh, people in the area that he's at. And, um, you know, the good news is, is that if people in the U.S. want to come visit him, it's not super far. So there's that option. Um, but I mean, as anybody can imagine, that would be a, a very young person. I mean, I think that's anybody's worst nightmare of being literally kicked out of the country that you grew up in, torn away from your friends and family and, and thrust into uh, a city that you don't really know anything about. I mean, I can't imagine anybody wanting to be in that situation uh but um you know he also has a a very front row seat obviously to what thousands of people are dealing with and um you know it's not pretty and it's it's benefiting you know a small set of state actors and large corporations um you know at the same time you know the united states economy continues to run on you know just like it always has been on cheap immigrant labor it doesn't when you step back and look at it, it really does not make any sense uh it puts into perspective like so many of the topics we we've been mentioning what's at stake here um but let's let's transition into some other topics related to i guess pop culture and subcultures um you've already alluded to it kim and i've i've held back in saying that you write for teen vogue i'm not one of those people who think well wow <laughs> teen vogue what, what's that all about i mean I understand that, you know, a lot of cool things can appear wherever. I mean, back in the day, um, Playboy used to do some okay journalism uh, occasionally um, in their pages. So depending on who the editor is or whatever, stuff stuff can happen. So but maybe talk about the reaction you've gotten to. I mean, you've written a lot for Teen Vogue, a lot of good stuff. Your, your mm-hmm. Occupy Ice piece is in there. Um, but talk about the reaction to the anarchism piece in, in Teen Vogue. It's been, well, it's been really interesting. I'm still delighted that I got them to let me do that because, I mean, it's hilarious. Like, it's the most 2018 shit ever writing about anarchism and Teen Vogue. But, I mean, I, I'm really, really appreciative that I do have that platform. Like, as a writer, especially, like, I, I have a staff job uh, writing about music elsewhere, but I've been actively trying to do more, like, political and cultural writing over the past few years because that's kind of where my interests have migrated towards and it's really great, and it's like a huge privilege having access to a platform like Teen Vogue because, I mean, reaching younger people is imperative in a time like this. And putting accurate information about radical ideas and radical politics into the world when facts are not even accepted as real, tangible things anymore is helpful. Like, I wish that when I was a kid, I could have come across, like, what is capitalism? What is anarchism written from a perspective that maybe isn't even that radical but it's just factual and that's what i was trying to do with this piece and i would say um that when you are a radical person writing for a more mainstream publication there are there's compromises that are made like my editor there she's wonderful we've met up and talked through a ton of the things i want to write and she's very supportive she if i push back against something like she'll usually let me slide unless it's something that fact checking or legal has an issue with like there are a lot of layers to getting a piece like this published um i will say that my original draft was it was a lot longer it was a lot more in depth uh it was, it was defanged a little bit but I, I was kind of expecting that like 
I'll publish it at it No Borders Media. Just send it along. I'll publish the unedited version. I want to beat Andrew to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to see how you know, I'm not putting my draft out there. <laughs> like, but I mean, um, I'm just saying, like, you know, the the final result. I'm still happy with it. It's not as in depth as I would have liked it to be, but the way that my editors would, were approaching it, were like, right, like Kim, it's dope that you want to get into more into like the weeds here. You want to get more into like indigenous anarchism or get more into like you know, how anarchism and socialism and communism all intersect, but we are a teen publication and kids are brilliant, but they're not gonna understand all of this. Like that was, that was part of the reason why, um, I actually almost, I had to fight to keep that one section. There's, there's a part in the piece where, you know, I had a a section, what is the difference between anarchism and communism? And they wanted to cut that because they were like, even that is like too, that's like too specific. Kids aren't going to care about that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like literally every death threat I get is someone threatening to like murder my commie ass from me. <laughs> Can we please at least make it so they want to murder my anarchist ass? Like honestly, where's mother? <laughs> get it right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm literally like, uh, at least get the flags right. For fuck's sake. Right. Um, <laughs> I think it'll slip in there, but like, you know, it, it wasn't perfect. And people, I it, I got a really nice response to it. I was expecting, I'm not sure what I was expecting because I was never expecting to be able to write a piece about anarchism for Teen Vogue. But over the, the year or two that I've been writing for them, they've been really supportive of me being more open about like where I'm coming from, my perspective. Like I've written about the prison strike for them. I've written about um, various other like prison industrial complex related things. I've written about, um, I did a capitalism explainer. I did a labor unions explainer. I'm working on a prison abolition explainer for them, which should be fun. Um, so I, I have I have a lot of uh, freedom there, and I like I did get some some critiques that you know they're reasonable, like nothing is perfect, but there wasn't really any vitriol that I saw besides oh the Daily Caller wrote about it, which is very funny. The uh, Daily the what the Daily the Daily Caller oh like, Daily Caller okay something. yeah. It was, like, hilarious, though, because they just essentially aggregated the piece and didn't editorialize, so they just made anarchism sound really dope to all of their readers. <laughs> and um, there's another piece that came out last week that was uh, a British paper. I think it's like, the Weekly Standard, some sort of Tory rag. And the woman who wrote it was so mad. She was very mad. Her critique was riddled with holes, and she was essentially saying that anarchism will never be cool. I was like, well, see, you're already wrong, because, duh. And they had put, like, the most, like, the coolest photo ever of somebody with a Molotov. And it was like, you guys really suck at articulating why this philosophy is bad. Because, honestly, nothing <laughs> that you've said makes it sound anything but awesome. And They should have had a picture of a meeting <laughs> where everybody was yeah, upset. Yeah, you know, oh Sorry, my God, right? <laughs> or just, like, signal drama. Like, if you really want to make it look lame, I'll show you my inbox. It's trash. <laughs> well, I was... I was- I was thinking that the most critique you'd get for that article would be from other anarchists, like, you know, some sectarian oh, shit coming from our end, but <laughs> we don't have to go into that. Um, and other pop yeah. culture stuff or mainstream culture stuff, I mean, earlier on, uh, Andrew, you were you were talking about, you know, like, real shit, and part of that includes the fact that the water in Michigan, like, all the schools in Michigan, or, sorry, in Detroit, uh, can't have water, and the Miss Michigan candidate for the Miss America context, contest, when she introduced herself actually mentions that you know it's like i come from michigan the state where you don't have clean water um so you know a lot of this stuff is that that became the uh the viral video coming out of the uh the miss america contest i think that i mean personally is you know just to go back to to kim's thing i think it's awesome you know that that they got that thing in teen vogue and um you know also just on different cultural fronts like um I know that Kim writes a lot about metal and stuff like that. I mean, you know, so much of what the right has done is is to is to consciously wage a cultural war, um, you know. And I think that uh, a lot of times we, um, you know, kind of give that space up and and relegate it to the right, or or to to people in the center or to liberals. Absolutely, and the lesson of Gamergate, I think, is that we just can't ignore any of the where these folks are fighting. We're running, we're running out of time, and I definitely wanted to get into eventually the black metal stuff, but we won't have time, which is an excuse, Kim, to invite you back at some point in the future. This this show will hopefully be weekly, and uh, we can get maybe into more detail. 
Um, but there's time. Some things coming up that might be uh, worth worth chatting about. Actually, I've got a piece dropping this week that I'll send you. I feel like it'll it'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, you you tweeted about it on on Wednesday. Time. You said that the the Nazi metal people are going to be pissed off. So. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, they're always mad at me, but they're going to be extra mad this week. Good. Good. You're <laughs> doing the right thing. But, yeah, let's definitely get back together um, uh, and, and talk more. But I think we have just maybe a minute or two for for you guys to ask any questions about Canada. <laughs> so uh, we can add that in. Is there anything you guys are curious about up, up here? Me representing all of Canada, all 30 million of us. <laughs> well, earlier in the conversation, you were alluding to... Um, I can't even remember the exact context. You're alluding to a really interesting, like yeah. Before we were uh, before I started recording about uh, fascists getting kicked out of a community. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that's partially why we started late today. Um, But on Saturday, there's a community. I mean, all the land around Montreal and southern Quebec and southern Ontario and upstate New York is Ganayaga territory. The uh, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. um, here around the Montreal area, more 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 popularly known as Mohawk, one of those communities is Kanazatagi. Where in 1990 there was just an incredible uprising that has resonance to this day, where people stood up against a, a golf course uh, occupied and blocked bridges, uh, had a standoff. Um, uh, so so this area is, resonates with people. And this group called La Meute, which is the French word for the wolf pack, they've fucking appropriated the wolf and the wolf paw. They're an anti-immigrant, Islamophobic, racist group, um, and they have they have a certain amount of um, profile. Uh, you know, they're able to mobilize some numbers <laughs> in different parts of Quebec, and they've been doing a visibility campaign uh, during the Quebec election campaign. We're in the middle of an election campaign here, and uh, they were parked. One of their clans was parked. Uh, they organized in, in clans, and one of their clans was parked out uh, near Oka, near Kanizatage. But people in the community and supporters of the community noticed they were there with their flags. Uh, they came out and they basically kicked them out. They said, get the fuck out. And there's video that's gone viral here in Quebec and the rest of Canada about them getting kicked out. Um, this is especially important, not just because it's great whenever neo, uh, when far-right people or racists are getting kicked out. Uh, it's even better when they're being kicked out from indigenous folks. But La Meute has this position of like, we're not against indigenous people, we're just against immigrants. They have this um, fetishization of indigenous culture. Some of them even claim that membership or will come to demonstrations carrying uh, uh, warrior flags, uh, symbols of indigenous resistance. So uh, this is particularly inspiring, uh, something that more people need to know know about, and it's something that I'm glad I could share share with you guys and the listeners as well. It's something that just happened this past Saturday. Is there anything else you guys want to share? Otherwise, I'll wrap it up. Um, you know, one one. Le- one last thing that I would say is, you know, uh, we wrote an article last week. Uh, it's been, you know, it's got about 3,000 clicks on it. It's about a, a far-right conference that had some uh, people that are no longer with the Trump administration, conspiracy theorists, and also some neo-fascist uh, MPs from Europe came over and had a conference this weekend. Um, you know, there's been uh, – that story itself has been picked up by a couple bigger outlets and – you know, a couple of them have linked back to it's going down and like, you know, hat tipped us and stuff like that. I just want to say, you know, on the same vein of uh, Kim's thing and Teen Vogue, I mean, you know, media is important right now. It's part of the overall struggle. Like, write about what you're doing, get the word out there, um, you know, start a counter information website, you know, in your town, in your city, in your region. Um, you know, it's getting to the point where they cannot ignore us anymore. And also, you know, the more that we write about uh, what we're doing and, and get our ideas out there, uh, you know, the more people are listening. So uh, add that into part of your overall work that you're doing is making media. Kim, any final thoughts from you? I couldn't agree more with Andrew. I mean, we have this opportunity. If all of a sudden, for a variety of reasons, people are listening to us and they're giving weight to what we're saying. And I mean, even just look at the success, it was, a, it was months ago, but look at the success of Mark Bray's book, and the Antifa Handbook. Like, people are looking for something new, and they're not going to find it unless we create it and we get it in front of them. So more writers, more content creators, more videographers, just more people on our side, I think, need to, if, I mean, if they have the resources and the time, to get involved in media and creating their own media, forming media collectives, like just doing everything we can to capitalize on this moment and spread our information and spread our propaganda and get 
our ideology and our, our words in front of people because people are finally listening and that is a precious thing. So we've been operating in the shadows for so long, but right now things are changing and we need to, to seize this moment. And, you know, if anything really cool is happening, like send it to IGD, send it to me. I'll see if I can plant it somewhere. Like, you know, we, we have these opportunities and we need to, to take some. And I'm just really stoked about it, honestly. Like people are finally paying attention. It's about fucking time. Well, you, you both have expressed exactly why I've started this Snowboarders Media thing uh, to, to contribute to that, uh, to this political moment. Um, so thanks. Thanks a lot, Andrew, from It's Going Down. Kim in New York City, who's, uh, who's a writer, a journalist. Uh, thanks for speaking with us on this Snowboarders Media Roundup. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to a No Borders Media News Roundup, recorded late on September 18th, 2018, featuring a conversation between three anarchists, Kim Kelly, writer and organizer based in New York City, Andrew from It's Going Down, and me, Jackie Singh of No Borders Media. No Borders Media, based in Toronto and Montreal, is an autonomous left-wing media network. We share and create content that supports the struggles of communities in resistance, with a focus on the self-determination struggles of indigenous peoples, migrants, refugees, and working-class people of color, all in the context of opposition to capitalism and colonialism. Some current focuses include migrant justice, resistance to borders, anti-fascism, and anarchism. We are in the early stages of our independent media project. To stay in touch, send us an email at nobordersmedianetwork at gmail.com or look for No Borders Media on Facebook and SoundCloud. Much more to come in the coming weeks and months.